Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. My special guest today is Steve Hartman, chairman and CEO of Synchrono Group. Steve, welcome. I'm happy to be here today. Good. Well, I'm glad to have you. Tell us a little bit about uh, who Synchrono Group is and what you do. We are uh, an insure tech managing underwriter. So right there, I might have lost half the audience. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. don't, uh, you didn't lose don't me, like but you pro- you're probably right on the rest of that. Yeah. But uh, uh, as an insure insure tech managing underwriter, we underwrite on behalf of insurance companies. And we are a company focused on the uh, small commercial property casualty uh, uh, space. Uh, As an insure tech, uh, as a business, we leverage state-of-the-art technology, data, and algorithms to augment what people can do. Say a little bit more about that. Uh, on the, uh, we, th- we kind of think of our business as uh, an opportunity to uh, have the right convergence between experienced people uh, making decisions on behalf of insurance companies. Okay. And we do that by leveraging lots and lots of information sources. Mm-hmm. And we review all that information with the assistance of, uh, of underwriting algorithms. So we have mm-hmm. uh, leverage up artificial intelligence mm-hmm. in kind of a basic way to help us score a lot of information and review a lot of information in seconds rather than the normal hours and days that it typically takes insurance underwriters to operate in. Interesting. So are you are you the middleman between the carrier and the broker? Like, where do you sit? That's, that's correct. We've uh, opted to position our business uh, and on the uh, customer end. We uh, appreciate agents and brokers as our customers. Uh, their customers are then the end policyholders, the small right. businesses. Right. Uh, and we look at our business as an opportunity to thread a needle. So on the front end of our business or on one side of the needle, uh, we create a very, very fast user experience. So customer experience uh, for the agents and brokers to try to get the insurance placed for small businesses. On the other side of the needle, uh, because of how we've systematized and leveraged information and technology, uh, we have uh, largely positioned our business as a good protector of capital. And so our risk capital partners include insurance and reinsurance companies. Right. Uh, and they pay us to make decisions on their behalf because they think we do a great job at it. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you define small commercial? Uh, that's a that's a great question. You know, if, if you talk to some of the big uh, insurance companies, they define small commercial as fifty thousand dollars and under. Well, right. Uh, that's what I'm define it, exactly. Yeah. Other, others may define it as a hundred thousand dollars or under. Mm-hmm. For us, a large policy is typically twenty five or thirty thousand. And an average policy is going to be annually under yeah annual premium, mm-hmm. and a uh, uh, typical policy is actually going to be underneath ten thousand dollars. Got it. How many employees typically? That typically equates to companies that have customers. somewhere. Yeah, the, the uh, for the end customers, the policyholders typically have uh, employees under twenty five or thirty. Typically have revenue under ten million a year, Got and it. many of them actually are underneath a million dollars. Mm-hmm. And and you are one of the owners of the company, yeah. 
I'm the uh, founder. Uh, I still have a boss in life. My my wife's been my boss for over 30 years. Uh, <laughs> she sits on our board as well. Really? Uh, and, uh, she also works in the insurance business. So we're kind of an okay. insurance family. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, uh, We have about 20 other investors, uh, some of whom are uh, uh, serial entrepreneurs in the insurance vertical. Right. Uh, we've got two small insurance companies that have made investments here. A claims right. management firm made an investment. Mm-hmm. And then we have one uh, private equity operation that's an investor here with about a 20% stake in our business. Mm-hmm. And the company you're closing in on two years? We incorporated March of 2019. We did our initial fundraise uh, right at the end of the second quarter, 2019. We opened up our doors August 1st of 2019. Right, right, right. So yeah, when I say closing in on on two years, that's what I'm getting at. Um, What was the impetus behind starting this company? I've been in the insurance business and reinsurance business for a long time, a little over 30 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Spent uh, the first 20 in reinsurance, uh, largely dealing with both uh, managing underwriters and with insurance companies as Mm -hmm. clients. Uh, the last uh, six and a half years prior to building this out, I was running four insurance companies. Right. Uh, and I appreciated in running those companies. We had a very successful franchise uh, with our businesses. We had 12 product lines in 45 mm-hmm. states around the mm-hmm. country, $370 million in premium. Right. Uh, but we were built around a legacy approach to information and a legacy approach to process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are slow in insurance. They're very manual, very slow. Uh, typically, it was 48 to 72 hours before our agents would hear back from us. They typically hear back then a list of questions or receive back a list of questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would take them a day or two days or even a couple of days to uh, answer those questions. And then we would render our decision. Yeah. And as with most insurance companies, we provide our policy about 30 days later. <laughs> uh, I, I came away from that business, went back to school for a year because okay. I was convinced there were better ways to do uh, the business of insurance. Yeah. And the, the uh, opportunity is clearly there and uh, has been further spurred uh, because of the pandemic. Yeah, you know the uh, the uh, race to digital uh, that was reflected during the pandemic period. Uh, we were positioned for that from the outset, uh, mm-hmm. so uh, you know we think that uh, this is an ideal time to be positioned where we are, leveraging lots and lots of sources of information off the web to yeah. shorten the business process. Yeah, you know it's it's so great to hear because you know as as you and I both know and 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 our uh, listeners that don't know will learn. Um, you know, insurance has been very ripe for disruption <laughs> for some time, you know, hence the rise of InsurTech and its disruptive nature. Um, how do you, to somebody who doesn't know what InsurTech is, define InsurTech? Oh, it's hard. I think when you start talking about technology uh, yeah. and, and certainly for different generations, Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I happen to have a 21-year-old son and a 25-year-old son, and, and you know, for them, technology is easy. It's second nature. That's right. Uh, I'm 56, so I grew up with a different form of technology. Mm-hmm. You know, when I had been in the insurance industry already for a half dozen years, yeah. as cell phones were just being introduced, and at the time they were about the size of a water bottle. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, I remember uh, those days. You know, our, our documentation, our, our underwriting manuals uh, were six three-ring binders sitting yeah, above right. the above our desk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, our, our pro rata wheel, if we were looking at canceling a policy or a transaction, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we had the pro rata wheel literally, and it was a manual wheel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so the uh, Lotus uh, 123 had just been introduced. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, so we've come, uh, we've come light years since then. Mm-hmm. But most of our process is still very, very similar. You know, we got rid of the three ring binders above our desk. And so now we have automated underwriting guidelines that are, you know, whether they're in Word or, or uh, Adobe files, doesn't mm-hmm. matter. It's uh, mm-hmm. on your laptop. 
Uh, and the, uh, but the process of underwriting is still largely the same. Mm-hmm. You know, the underwriters tend to work off of uh, multi-page applications right. uh, with standardized information. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, the process is still largely a manual review. This is industry-wide. Uh, mm-hmm. The process is still largely a manual review. The rating process is typically still manual as well, although supported with different kinds of macros or Excel worksheets. Um, the, uh, the process for communication has changed a bit because, uh, as we are on, uh, on a video conference, uh, those are normal now. Uh, still supported instead of with facsimile, still supported with emails. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's a, it's a laborious process. Uh, typically, it'll take uh, a small business customer. It takes anywhere from three or four hours to, uh, to submit their application material through their agent. Uh, the, uh, the Q and a process starts, you know, the de- next day or the day after that. Uh, and typically it's still a two or three week process to get their policy. And that's, what's normal in the insurance business as a small business customer. Uh, you know, we buy our own insurance policies as well. And as a small business customer, my first experience was a five hour process. And 30 days later, I received my policy and we were very satisfied with coverage, but the process is laborious and yeah. takes a long time. Right. And that's time as a small business operator, that's time spent away from generating that's right. my revenue. Yep. It's it's a problem. It's really a problem. What's the biggest problem it's, you're solving? It is. And even, I'm sorry, go on. I was going to say, even for the insurance companies, you know, at the yeah. end of the day, companies all operate the same way and their biggest spends are on technology and on their resources, which include things like rent uh, and on their personnel. Mm-hmm. And so if you can figure out ways to shorten that process and make that process more mobile rather than less mobile, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the reality is you're introducing opportunities at, at improving profit margins and improving workloads, improving work-life balance for employees. Right. You know, and there are a lot of insure techs that are, that are succeeding at that right now. It's, it's really wonderful to see. What's the biggest um, problem you're solving for your clients? That's time. Yeah. Our, what we give back to our uh, agents and brokers is time. And that's time that they can use to grow and build money, their business. Uh, or, or, it's, or it's life. Yeah. You know, time, uh, time spent uh, rather than spending uh, hours and hours on a single transaction, if you can mm-hmm. reduce that to 20 minutes, mm-hmm. uh, that's time left that, uh, that can be directed elsewhere. When did you, uh, Steve, actually come up with, you know, have the epiphany that, you know what, I need to leave what I'm doing. I need to do something different. And this is what I want to do. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really funny. The, uh, I started that process in uh, October of 2018 and uh, found myself uh, enrolled back in a university setting. Uh, and I can tell you, I had not written a term paper in well over 30 years. So that was a rude awakening. <laughs> right. um, but um, the, uh, the ability to kind of step away from the business, and, and maybe this was a luxury that uh, to be in this position, but I had the opportunity to step away from the business and actually surround myself with people that are a lot smarter than I was mm-hmm. in a lot of other industries. Uh, and you start to, to think about difference in perspective. And you know, it became very, very uh, apparent very quickly that the insurance industry was easily seven to 10 years behind the finance industry relative to fintech and its evolution. Uh, and, you know, that that suggested there was a huge amount of opportunity for process improvement, uh, but it was more than process improvement. It was really an, an opportunity to rethink how business could be transacted, right. um, not just in our office, but how the decisions that affected our customers could mm-hmm. be made in a much, much different environment. Uh, and that really became kind of an exciting endeavor uh, as, as I started to peel back the onion and appreciate mm-hmm. the areas in technology and the areas in process that were ripe for improvement. 
uh, and then thought of, you know, thinking our way through and building our team to, to really build our way through what we could do that would be different. Yeah, that's, that's really fantastic. I, I'm, I'm a little bit like odd that you came up with this idea in the fall of 18 and by March you were raising money. <laughs> like, that's well, it's, pretty fast. Uh, it was bringing it kind of full circle for me. It, it, the, uh, when I was a long, long time ago, over 30 years ago, I was in graduate school, school mm-hmm. for uh, cognitive psychology. And, and mm-hmm. part of my research actually involved artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that research at the time revolved around making decisions with fuzzy information. So mm-hmm. when you think about what an, what an underwriter does, at the end of the day, we're being tasked with making decisions on providing coverage with less than perfect information. Right. Now, the, over the 30-year period, what has changed is the ability uh, to access information very, very efficiently, very quickly, very seamlessly. Uh, pretty much everything that, that, uh, that we do in life now seems to be known on the web mm-hmm. by somebody or mm-hmm. something. And so the ability to harness all of that information uh, really is, is really the, the crucial step. Uh, and it's a step that is frightening for a lot of people because change is difficult. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I just had that conversation with somebody earlier today. Um, you know, if you look at your background and, you know, all the years you spent and, you know, to your point in both insurance and reinsurance, um, but this is your, I mean, it's the first time you've founded a company. Yep. <laughs> How did your background prepare you for what you're doing today as a chairman and a CEO? Oh, uh, well, you have to, you have to have a willingness to roll up your sleeves, uh, you know, at the end of the day and, and uh, the, you uh, uh, you also have to have a willingness to recognize you don't know everything. That's right. You know, at the end of the day, we're as good as our team mm-hmm. uh, in everything we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, you know, I, t- I tell people when they ask me, uh, you know, you introduce yourself as CEO. Well, I'm I'm chief of expense and overhead. That's really what I am. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I surround myself with bright people, yeah. and then ultimately, you've got to give them the tools uh, required to be successful in what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, and you have to rely on the fact that it's okay to make mistakes. Yeah. You know, the key to success is actually recognizing the difference between the success and the failures. Right. And there's an opportunity to learn a heck of a lot more from the failures than there right. is necessarily from blindly yeah. following success. Said, in a mil- said it a million times, you know, do you learn more from your successes or your failures? Right. You learn more from your failures. Absolutely. Well, at least hopefully you do. Right. Um, how did you go about building your team, your executive team? Uh, our team here, uh, you know, we're we're a bit different than other insurtechs because we actually have built around in insurance domain expertise. Uh, rather than building from technology into insurance, right. we built from the knowledge of insurance with an appreciation for where technology actually can represent uh, huge mm-hmm. leaps forward. So our our team averages about thirty years of experience mm-hmm. in the combination of tech, finance, reinsurance, insurance, uh, and analytics. Mm-hmm. So the uh, the bulk of our team I have known for many years. Yeah. Uh, so uh, our COO, CFO, John DeBland, and I uh, first were introduced in about 1993. Uh, our head of business development, Rick Moser, and I actually go back to 1989. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so we've we've kind of got a, a, an appropriate blend of mm-hmm. uh, gray hair and no hair mm-hmm. uh, with uh, with young enthusiasm. And mm-hmm. even our older folks, to be honest, are are young at heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do you have any appreciate- kind of- Go ahead. No, no. Did you have any kind of concern um, about these folks that you've known for so many years being able to make a pivot into a startup? I mean, um, it ain't the same I'm, thing, you know, for work with, you know, than working for a, a big carrier like you've done in the past. 
it's it's definitely not the same thing. But you know what it what it really requires is an ability to articulate a vision on how things could be done differently. Right. And by by relying on people with a lot of experience, you know the reality is they've all um, gone through the motions over a period of years of operating within the current legacy siloed approach that insurance mm-hmm. is really pretty well known for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that gives them an appreciation for you know where things are and the uh, the ability to to uh, you know grab onto a vision on how things can be different. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know it takes a little bit of energy, it takes a little bit of an imagination mm-hmm. uh, to mm-hmm. be honest. Uh, the uh, with without exception, each one of our senior managers uh, can tell you the very stark difference between how we're approaching our business and how historically business has has been transacted. Uh, and, you know, that ability to see those two uh, ends of the spectrum uh, and really to act in between, because that's really what we have to do. We still have to operate in a staid, uh, largely stable uh, environment uh, where insurance companies still transact business the way they historically have. Agents and brokers still do a lot of their uh, job functions around the way things have always been. Right. And we're trying to push that evolution in between. And, you know, the, uh, you know, our, our value proposition really is time. Uh, because if we can do the business the way that we have envisioned and the way our tech stack, to be honest, allows us to transact business, uh, we actually make lives easier for both of those parties, both of those major stakeholders for our business without sacrificing the quality or integrity of the underwriting decision and without sacrificing the service element that agents and brokers really have to bring to, to the benefit of their customers. Would you say that that's the biggest impact you've had in your industry to date? Time? Saving, like, uh, saving I, people real time? I think so. Mm-hmm. I think so. You know, at the end of the day, insurance, just about every kind of, of insurance that's available in the U.S. and, and even globally um, is operating in a competitive landscape. So the products all look a lot alike. Right. Uh, the pricing across the spectrum of, of providers is fairly similar. Right. Uh, and the ability to differentiate uh, quickly and mm-hmm. to move quickly uh, really is a differentiator. Yeah. Um, the, the opportunity to isolate in on risk characteristics that are unique and to appreciate the, the relative upside or downside associated with those unique uh, characteristics yeah. uh, in a fashion that allows you to adjust product quickly, adjust pricing quickly mm-hmm. and still provide service quickly, uh, I think is, uh, you know, one of those markers. I would agree. I, you know, I mean, in everything that, you know, that I know about InsureTech, you know, and, and talks I've listened to at InsureTech Connect and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the really, the, that's the common denominator is that startups have the ability to bob and weave. The, the incumbents just can't yep. do it. it. Well, it's hard, you know, and again, I came up through that legacy side of that's the business right. and I appreciate mm-hmm. um, the, uh, the safety, if you will, that legacy approaches uh, can bring to the table are also at the same time a big negative because it almost creates um, almost like an inertia Mm -hmm. where change is bad almost by definition. Right. Well, and, 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 and complacency, Mm-hmm. Right, it's going to be the death of the insurance industry if they don't make some changes. Yeah. Well, that and that and uh, you know, we, the industry as a whole suffers from a short-term memory deficit. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, we we go through historically. They've referred this to market cycles, and you know, yeah. we make mistakes as an industry, and yeah. effectively, we we underprice the liabilities that we pick up. 
That's right. And when you do that, inevitably, you have to pay the piper, right? You have to make the correction in the in the way you think about the liabilities and what that means in your financials. And so that results in a contraction of capacity and a refinement of underwriting appetites and an increase in pricing. Mm -hmm. And as we do that and results improve, capital suddenly enters the marketplace Mm -hmm. and you go through the same cycle again. You start chasing revenue dollar without mm-hmm. without real real consideration for what the liabilities uh, yeah. are. I mean, like what's what's the number one issue for for uh, for insurance under underinsuring and overinsuring? Yep. Right. It, you've got to be able to figure that out, and and you know either of those things, you know, cause a wave outward to other people. Yep. Yeah. Well, what's what's really interesting in in those uh, those periods uh, yeah. on both ends of the market cycle. Uh, where I think and have always believed the underwriters um, uh, make mistakes is in chasing that perceived best risk. Mm-hmm. The right the right job for an underwriter actually is to find the best relationship between available exposure and available price. Right. That's not always the best risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really really interesting point. Um, what does and it's funny you, you mentioned this just before I was going to ask it. What is in your business, small commercial PNC, what's the competitive landscape look like? Well, it's very competitive. You have your entrenched players. Uh, so in, in, those are the large stocks and the large mutual companies. Uh, mm-hmm. So Liberty Mutual, uh, all the way through uh, to uh, Travelers and Hartford, and sure. even some super regional companies that do a, do a very good job in their space. So mm-hmm. companies like Selective. Um, and then you have kind of the other end of the continuum, which is the new markets. And, you know, these are the people, uh, insurtechs, generally speaking, uh, but um, they're trying to figure out new ways of getting at the business uh, mm-hmm. and underwriting the business, leveraging information and harnessing right. alternative distribution channels. You know, we've chosen with our business to point our business entirely at the, the agent and broker community because they represent about 90% of the insurance market. Um, others in the insure tech space have looked at an opportunity to disintermediate those same agents and brokers uh, and are working to go direct to the consumer. Um, both strategies can actually be very, very success, uh, successful. They can both lead to uh, material growth. They can both lead to material profit opportunities. Uh, in both cases, what's required actually is an ability to execute better than others. Right. So how do you how do you go about finding your prospects and customers? Uh, well, it, it's data. Uh, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've harnessed data from about 10 different API data providers uh, okay. in what we do. Uh, and then beyond that, we wrap algorithms around that. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, at the end customer level, at the policyholder level, we work with a little over 4 million uh, data points uh, mm-hmm. for for end customers that represent the kind of risk characteristics that we're looking to, right. to have in a portfolio. Um, we work uh, cooperatively with our agents and brokers to try to harness that kind of information for their benefit. Uh, the ability that we bring to the table to offer uh, curated leads, for example, uh, for agents and brokers right. that are in proximity to where they're located. Most agents and brokers do business within about four zip codes of their office location. Right, right. And so we know a lot about customers that are in their backyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, ability. Uh, we think of of sharing that kind of information uh, as qualified leads, as customers and and end customers that we would have interest in insuring, right. uh, with the agent brokers. At the same time, with the the additional analytics we can bring to bear, um, we also uh, represent a, a value proposition for the reinsurers and insurers. Then, 
because you know it's one thing to go write premium. It's uh, in some in some cases it's easy to write premium. Um, but uh, to do that and actually do it in a fashion that generates the right kind of underwriting profit, uh, profit potential for the capital that our risk partners are, are willing to expose, that's an important differentiator as well. Um, the insurtechs, you know, in, uh, in most cases, insurtechs generally start with one product in one state. Right. And then over time, they look to grow. Uh, and they'll grow their geographic footprint and maybe even their product footprint. Mm-hmm. We're starting a little bit differently because we now have, uh, we've introduced just this week, our third product. Uh, that gives us now three products operating 48 states. And uh, so we're on a different kind of trajectory with our okay. ability to bring product into the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have trading partners that range literally from the small mom and pop insurance agency all the way up to uh, national brokers and national wholesalers. Has the regulatory... <laughs> Uh, situation of the insurance industry uh, limited your, you know, how fast you were able to get out to other states. The nature of the uh, we, we do business both within uh, we do business both in the surplus lines environment and in the admitted environment. Okay. And so one of our one of our products that'll be opening up our fourth product that'll be opening up very shortly is Workers Comp, very much a regulated product. Right. Um, and you contrast that with the low end commercial business that can be done. Uh, I've always thought of this as gray area business. Uh, but in the ENS marketplace, and you know, in the ENS marketplace, it's freedom of rate and form. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, we do think that there are continuing opportunities with where the overall insurance market performance is. Uh, there are still very strong opportunities in the ENS market for the next few years. And, and let, uh, let me interrupt and, and, and point out that ENS means excess and surplus. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that's uh, for those you know, listening who don't know what ENS is. Yeah. In the insurance business, you have admitted business and non-admitted or, or right. ENS surplus lines business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the admitted business is regulated business. The non-admitted business is not subject to the same kinds of regulations. Right. So we are opening product into both spaces. Uh, we think that uh, there's uh, there's a time and a place to be in both ends of the market, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I I was going to say, in the, in the current environment, the uh, market performance for insurance business over the last few years has been challenged. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was pre-COVID even. The market was starting to go through a, con- a contraction of capacity and an increase in rates in most product areas. And that continued through the pandemic period and is forecast to continue for the next two or three years as well. Interesting. Um, not all product, though, flows through that channel. So you look at um, you know, personal automobile, for example, homeowner's business is largely admitted. Uh, workers' comp is an admitted insurance product sure. line, uh, and we're also developing capabilities into into that uh, that kind of uh, space. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, The dynamics coming out of the pandemic, obviously, the the pandemic uh, changed the marketplace. It changed mm-hmm. it in the way people work. It changed it in the way small businesses operate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it forced just about every kind of business to more readily accept, the, you know, kind of the digital uh, uh, horizon, if you will. Uh, for their own operations, they had to go digital in order to survive. Uh, the uh, those those things are all happening at the same time as we have an improving economic landscape in front of us, mm-hmm. and you know, the number of business failures, particularly in the small business arena, over the last twelve months, uh, but roughly twenty five percent of the uh, small business has wound up their operations uh, in mm-hmm. the last twelve months. Right now, many of the operators will initiate another business now. Uh, over the next year or two years, they'll reopen as a different kind of business or a different name on the door. Um, the uh, you know the the big players in the industry and business, uh, so companies like Amazon and and your large big box stores, 
all actually thrived during the course of the pandemic, of which was ironic. Um, but uh, you know, it's a. Uh, I think we're walking and, and moving our way into an improving landscape. Our wild card is whether or not there's uh, you know a, a different round of this pandemic or potentially a different pandemic hanging out there. Well, uh, in the- you can be sure there's another pandemic, but you know whether it's right around the corner or five years from now or ten yep. years from now, it you know I mean it's inevitably is going to happen. Well, that's the one. The one good thing about uh, you know people. People are actually resilient. Yeah. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. uh, so we adapt, we learn, we we make our adaptations, and we move forward. Do you have any particular um, vertical market that's a sweet spot for you? Uh, we're building into a couple of of uh, markets. Uh, one of our products actually builds into the gig economy. Uh, and, you know, I think that uh, we built there, actually, I know, uh, we built into this space for a couple of reasons. If you look back at the last economic meltdown in 2008 and nine, mm-hmm. um, the small businesses and small business filings uh, for the few years following that flourished. Uh, and they, they grew largely because, uh, in part out of necessity, but also in part because the, the business and the economy was moving in different directions. Mm-hmm. The digital uh, you know, the digital universe was starting to take shape. Right. Um, so also, uh, where people had been displaced in more traditional industries, those same individuals took a hard look at what they knew how to do, who they knew, what they could monetize from the standpoint of resource and relationship, and they used that to start uh, small businesses. You roll the clock forward to, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the circumstances around the pandemic, uh, and you've got a lot of the same thing taking shape. You know, you have roughly 7 million jobs that still have not yet returned. Uh, And so those people that were negatively affected are now doing the same things, looking at what they know how to do, who they know, what they Mm -hmm. can monetize, resource and relationship, and they're starting to build a small business. Mm -hmm. Uh, We think that that gig economy product and orientation we have is actually really well positioned to take advantage of that kind of a shift in in the marketplace. Right. Yeah, that's right. We're we're building into more established product areas Mm -hmm. uh, because- you know, things like the workers' comp market is is a uh, almost a constant. Uh, we're building some product into the transportation arena. You know, the, the reality is goods and services move, and they move through whether it's by rail or truck. Uh, at the at the end of the day, they're moving across the country, mm-hmm. and so we're building into that vertical as well. Interesting. Um, <clears throat> is there any? And I'm sure there is. What would you say is the most outdated advice in your industry? That's that might be give, be giving be still being given out <laughs> to people um, that are looking the, for you know uh, small business you know or you know commercial PNC. Uh, I grew up in the business actually uh, recognizing that insurance was a people to people business. Yeah. The the advent of a lot of digital tools mm. uh, is changing the face of this a bit. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we still you know we're people. We deal with people. Uh, how we deal with each other, uh, you know, whether it's video conference, uh, email, text messaging, uh, you know, I can tell you with 21 and a 25 year old, I sometimes have to look up in Wikipedia, you know, what some of their, their, uh, their letters <laughs> actually mean, you know, it took me a year to figure out what LOL, LOL meant, oh, uh, no. uh, you know, because I, I didn't want to ask anybody. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I think our communication patterns are changing and mm-hmm. the way in which we communicate is changing. Uh, as well. Uh, It takes, you know, with uh, the advent of remote workers and video conferencing just within the company, uh, you know, these these kinds of changes actually uh, require managers to adapt. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, you know, your business culture, which used to happen in and around your water cooler or coffee machine in the office, Mm -hmm. uh, 
now has to be an intentional action uh, led by every member of the team uh, in order to create and foster the right kind of culture across your organization when you're no longer in a common office environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got about 30 employees now. Uh, what is the, what is the makeup of those people from a a diversity standpoint, you know, male, female, as well as the different jobs those people are doing, you know, where do you find most of your people? Yeah, we have, uh, you know, we, we're, we're built in, uh, in two places in the world. So, uh, we have employees here in the U S we have our our worldwide headquarters are right here in Raleigh, North Carolina, but at the end of the day, we have employees distributed around the country. So we've got people in South Carolina, Florida, Texas, uh, New Jersey, uh, Ohio, and California. Mm -hmm. Um, and that represents about 50% of our headcount. And uh, so we've been uh, very, uh, very open to the idea of finding the right people and plugging them in where they're uh, and uh, but separately, we also have a foreign subsidiary. So we intentionally built a subsidiary in Manila. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in uh, Manila, Philippines, mm-hmm. uh, we have in Manila, the bulk of our IT footprint is actually based in Manila. So our dev team, QA team and BA team are all based there. Uh, we have a scientist based there. Our digital marketing team is based there. And we have some additional resources uh, based there as well. Uh, our business in Manila is 100 percent remote. Uh, so we have a very small office suite that we maintain because the Philippine government says I'm supposed to. Uh, they want a mail address. Uh, and so we have a single suite there in Makati, which is the financial district in Manila. Okay. Otherwise, our people are remote uh, in Manila. Mm-hmm. Uh, here in the U.S., uh, we maintain an office presence in Raleigh. Uh, but at the end of the day, again, we're agnostic to where people are located. Uh, we have a, uh, about a half dozen of our resources are based here. Uh, typically, any day of the week, we've got two or three floating around the office. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's Environment, uh, for people to be on site uh, anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how many so, you know, of, of, the, of the employees, how many are men versus women? We're split about 50, 50 uh, male and female. And, uh, you know, the average age in our employee base is actually around 38 or 39. Okay. Uh, so our, our youngest employee is a recent college grad. Uh, our oldest employee is my friend, Rick Moser, as our head of business development. He's been right. in the insurance industry for 42 years. Um, in the way of, you know, leadership around the company, how many of those leaders are women? I'm putting you on for, the our, now. <laughs> for our uh, senior management team, uh, we have, uh, I'm just going to do this in percentages. We have three members of the senior management team that are female. Okay. Uh, a total senior management group of, of six. And that's 50%. Yep. Bravo. So our board makeup really? is our our uh, board uh, you know makeup is comparable as well uh, on the board. Uh, I, I, I joked earlier, you know, my boss is my wife, and that's actually not that much of a joke. Um, she's been my better half for over thirty years. Yeah, uh, we have a a great board member in a CEO from Australia. Uh, her name is Marcella Romero. Uh, mm-hmm. She is a very very successful uh, business uh, owner and operator. She runs four businesses in Australia. She's got a little over three hundred employees. Um, my wife, as I said, works in the insurance industry. She works at Arch Capital Group. Ah. <clears throat> I believe she's the highest ranking woman uh, in Arch Capital. Uh, she has uh, close to 20 or 25 percent of their human resource pool reports through her. So she's got uh, close to 1,000 employees. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, you mentioned um, uh, when we first talked compassionate capitalism. Can you tell me a little bit about what that is, what that means for you? 
I've, I've always believed, uh, uh, and there are a number of books that you can go on Amazon and buy uh, that, that speak about compassionate comp- uh, capitalism, but I've always felt that there is a, a place and a role for employers and businesses to play that transcends being a simple payroll, uh, payroll provider. Yeah. Uh, we have a place in our local community uh, where we can advance uh, uh, better standards of living. Uh, and it doesn't really matter uh, which side of the aisle you vote on, whether you vote left or right. It doesn't matter. Republican or Democrat, it doesn't matter. Uh, if you have a heart and a mind, then you can recognize that there are portions of our population that can use a hand. Right. Uh, so uh, we have, uh, uh, over the last several years, uh, my old companies, uh, we got them involved in, in uh, quarterly uh, charitable campaigning. Uh, and the, uh, this process took on a life of its own in that company. Uh, and we were doing projects every year that revolved around childhood education, that revolved around displaced families, and that revolved around our veterans. Uh, and again, there are, there are segments of our population that if you have an open heart and an open mind, you can look at and appreciate that they can use a hand. Uh, and uh, our, our, I think my favorite event that we'd ever gotten involved in was something we called Karaoke for Kids. Uh, and we would take on a, a, uh, a charity that was uh, focused entirely on children, uh, and we would run a project for them at our cost. We ran it out of our marketing budget. Uh, we would include then people from all over the country our, as stakeholders of our business uh, to participate in those projects. Uh, and we would typically take over a restaurant here in Raleigh, uh, invite 150 people in from around the country, and then lock the doors once they got there and start auctioning people out of the audience to sing. Uh, and uh, it could be cutthroat. Uh, people, if you were <laughs> someone who will pick one for you. Uh, but uh, the uh, these events, and we did four per year, but our charity events generally raised about $35,000 per event, and 100% of the proteins, uh, proceeds actually went to the charity. Wonderful. Uh, and we did it uh, focused in those three areas because they are apolitical. You know, kids are apolitical. That's right. Uh, and, uh, you know, our veterans, to be honest, are mm-hmm. apolitical. Uh, they've chosen to serve our country. There's an opportunity for us to serve their needs after. Mm-hmm. Uh, and displacement, you know, bad bad events happen through uh, through no planning uh, or or uh, you know reason sometimes that affect family. There is absolutely no reason for a family to live in the back of their car. Right. That's really so. Compassionate capitalism kind of revolves around the idea that companies can provide service and, and resource to their community to further uh, the needs of their community um, and never lose sight of the fact that they're actually there to make money for their shareholders. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely appropriate and absolutely uh, uh, a capability of companies to actually meet the needs of both ends of those stakeholders. Uh, and if you do it right, if you, if you weave that into the culture of your organization, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, it's okay to provide service to others, uh, and it's also okay to make a profit. Uh, yeah. When that becomes uh, ingrained in the culture of your organization, you actually have a much more robust and vibrant and resilient corporation, and sure. you're actually in better profit bottom and bottom line performance. That's fantastic. Would you say that's what that's that's like the main thing that makes your company culture unique? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's ingrained here. It's ingrained in me. Uh, and uh, as we've recruited people to join us here, that is part of our talking point. Good. Uh, Former company, we enjoyed an attrition rate that was single digit over a six and a half year period. And I think we enjoyed that at the same time as we grew our business by a thousand percent for a reason. You know, it boiled down to the culture of the organization. Right. Always boils down to that. Always. You know, which is which is really fantastic. I, I you know, yeah, I can't tell you. It's, it's music to my ears when I hear that. 
Where do you say you're, where do you see yourself investing in resources over this next year, Steve? Uh, we'll, continue, we'll continue to uh, both investing in the technology uh, and uh, also investing in our our people. Uh, so uh, we have big growth plans. Uh, and as we grow, we do anticipate that about half of our headcount will be onshore and about half of our headcount will be in uh, in the Philippines. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So if if someone were just getting into your industry, what advice mm-hmm. would you give them? Oh, never stop learning. That's easy. I, you know, the I kind of fell into this industry uh, for whatever reason, the combination of contract law and numbers uh, and people just fit with me. I, I can't explain it, uh, but uh, very early in my career, I knew that this was the right industry for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, But you can never think you're done. You can never think you're finished as a person. You can never think mm-hmm. you're finished as, in, in terms of learning mm-hmm. uh, as, uh, as a working professional. Mm-hmm. How is it having your wife on your board of directors? That's oh, awesome. She's a fantastic business, business yeah. executive. Uh, and, um, the, uh, she is absolutely a type A personality. Uh, she's absolutely wound up with about as much energy as I have as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've, uh, we've, we've got a great thing. Uh, so I knew that uh, the week I met her in July of 1990. So uh, it, took, it took a handful of months to get a date with her. But uh, after that. <laughs> Too busy for you, huh? <laughs> Uh, yep. Yep. So she, I think you know, she made me earn it. Uh, and uh, we've we've had the great fortune of having uh, very successful careers. Uh, mm-hmm. We've had a great fortune of having a very successful relationship and the great fortune of having two wonderful children. That's fantastic. Uh, Is this the I first time the two of you have worked together? No, we actually started uh, when I started in uh, July of 1990. I was a young underwriter that was hired into Reliance National uh, mm-hmm. in New York City. Uh, and my first week there, she was the IT professional that they sent to train me in the company's operating systems. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, it, uh, I'm, I'm still in training 30 years later. So, yeah, well, you know, you know. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, we've, we've had uh, incredible good fortune uh, throughout our careers. We both uh, work very, very hard. We both believe yeah. in what we do. We both sure. believe in the, uh, the people that we surround ourselves with. Well, you know what they say, if, if you're, you know, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. That's true. That's true. Right? And, and that's, you know, that's what's so wonderful about, you know, and it, it, it clearly comes through the passion you have about what you're doing. You know, loud well, and clear. We, uh, we've got big plans here. I think uh, with the tech stack that we've built uh, and, um, you know, maybe this is where we differ a little bit from uh, some of our InsureTech uh, uh, brethren, um, but I'm convinced with the tech stack we built, we can actually underwrite virtually any kind of small business insurance. Interesting. And so we underwrite our business holistically, trying to answer kind of basic questions. You know, do they run a good business? Are they in areas where we want to have insurable risk? Are they within their the line of insurance? What do we mm-hmm. think about them? And then underneath that, all the way in the weeds, is where are that where are they within their class codes? Mm-hmm. And our uh, our experience base across our company, and because of how we've thought and anticipated uh, about the needs for the data and what we ultimately wanted to do with the data, uh, I think we've positioned ourselves really, really well and really in almost an extraordinary way to uh, answer multiple needs with a very common tech stack across uh, all product verticals. Mm. How do you spend your time when you're not working? I fish. You know, in some respects, fishing is kind of like underwriting. You know, you you put your line over the uh, over the side of your boat, 
Uh, and before you pull the fish in your boat, you take a look at it and figure out if it's something you want in the boat. <laughs> right. That's fantastic. Uh, but, uh, I, I enjoy fishing. Uh, you know, my, uh, my kids, uh, growing up played baseball, uh, pretty much year round, it seems like. Uh, and I was that coach for them until they turned about 12 and then they were too good for me. I could no longer coach them. I yeah, was the, well, I was typically know. the coach would tell kids to run laps. Um, but, um, the, uh, you know, we're still active. Uh, my wife and I are both active in a handful of different charities locally here. Mm-hmm. Uh, she actually sits on the, uh, on the, uh, board for the Red Cross in the Philippines. Uh, and, um, the, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're in a good place. Uh, we have, uh, uh, you were talking about diversity earlier. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, my, uh, my wife grew up in the Philippines. She uh, came to the States and earned a master's degree in physics. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, our children are biracial children, so you know we're we're very acutely sensitive uh, mm-hmm. to a lot of things that have been in the news for the last uh, year or two. Yeah, I'm um, sure. <laughs> we also we also as we look at at uh, you know what kind of legacy that we would like to leave, uh, the reality is we both work hard, and mm-hmm. we both have uh, have had the luxury of having a great education, and we both had to work to have that education. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't something that was given to us, and nor were our careers given to us. Right. Uh, we, uh, as, as I look at my kids, I appreciate, uh, you know, the, the work ethic that both of them have. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I know that they're going to do great things with their careers and with their lives. Yeah, and I'm sure the two of you have instilled that upon them, right? Hopefully, hopefully that. And I've, I've given them a pension for bad uh, eating habits, things like chili dogs and uh, cheeseburgers. Yeah. Uh, have everything. <laughs> Talk about risk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so if somebody listening to this is listen to this story and, and what you're up to, because, you know, again, InsureTech is just a hot, hot marketplace right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're thinking, this company sounds pretty cool. I, I, I'd love to investigate maybe working for them. What would you what would you suggest that they do, Steve? Well, you can always reach out uh, through LinkedIn, uh, through our website. Uh, you know, the one the one piece of advice I, I uh, give people, and I've given this uh, same advice for years. Um you know, you have to believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to believe in the business that you're going to work for. You have to believe in your friends and in your faith, uh, right. in your community. Um, if you go through life uh, in, uh, you know, everything you do, you expect more. Mm-hmm. Ex- expect more from yourself. Expect more from other people. Uh, and if you constantly expect more, you eventually will find opportunities uh, to do things better. Yeah. So there's kind of this incremental uh, opportunities at at uh, improvement, mm-hmm. and if you, if you take advantage of those limited opportunities to do things better, eventually you're going to be great. Mm-hmm. You know, so we uh, we're in the process here of uh, uh, forming a foundation, and we intend to to uh, help uh, subsidize uh, this charity mm-hmm. with a percentage of profit stream every year, mm-hmm. uh, and it's actually <laughs> we filed our paperwork to be to have it be called the More Better Great Foundation. Uh, and, <laughs> and literally it's about expecting more doing better and being great yeah uh, that's awesome. how we can do those things in our local communities mm-hmm. uh, to me is, is endless opportunity wow um and you mentioned people can go to your website that is s-y-n-c-h-r-o-n-o.com correct it's uh, synchronosure.com so synchrono uh, what? Uh, synchronosure.com sure. s-u-r-e okay yep. gotcha S-U-R-E. So that so that people uh, find the right website, company. Check us, out, check us out on LinkedIn. Check us, yeah. you know, check us out on uh, the other social media as well. Great. Well, Steve Hartman, Chairman and CEO of Synchrono Group, 
this has been a really interesting conversation as all my conversations seem to be, but you know, I have a particular uh, uh, love for insure tech. So I'm always really interested in talking to insure tech folks. Um, really much, much, much success with the company. I can't tell you. I, Thank just, you. Just, I, I really just want to see insure tech personally um, make a big, make a big dent in the incumbent carriers. I think it, I think it will. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, I think a lot of the incumbent players, you can kind of stratify them, right? Mm-hmm. You've got a limited number who are making large investments in insure tech within, yeah. their, within their silos. Yep. Um, and then there's a handful that are playing as investors, mm-hmm. as third-party investors mm-hmm. uh, in insure tech, mm-hmm. uh, trying to participate in it. And at, at some point, sure, they can, they can turn around and buy us all. Um, the, uh, and then there's a number of companies. You know, the property casualty universe in the United States has about 2,700 insurance groups. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of companies, and the top 100 are making investments either internally or as third-party investors. Right. Uh, there's the next 2,500 who are basically sitting there trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of them are partnering with companies like ours. Uh, we are not a vertically integrated insure tech, so we right. have absolute intention of ever having an insurance company in our balance sheet because there are plenty of insurance companies that we can build uh, relationships with that don't require us then to carry that excess capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, but the companies that aren't making the investments uh, as carriers or as underwriting uh, mm-hmm. businesses, uh, the companies that are not making the investments will increasingly find themselves in a position of adverse risk selection. Mm-hmm. Their expense ratios are going to continue to be too high. Their quality is going to get challenged. And that puts their, their combined ratios and their competitive positions right. in this jeopardy. Um, you you go to the other end of the non-risk-bearing insure techs, and you've got service providers, data providers, data aggregators, uh, data tool providers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got kind of a new class of insure techs that are starting to form now, which are really your digital exchanges. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of look at those as almost as, as uh, uh, digital wholesalers mm-hmm. in some respect. Mm-hmm. But they're providing smart systems in and around that environment, which will more efficiently channel risks to the right potential underwriting partners. Yeah. And that'll be that'll be a, an end of the business to really watch uh, over yeah. the next few years. Good. Well, I'm, I'm certainly keeping my eyes on it. Again, Steve, thanks so much for the time. This has really been uh, an interesting conversation and uh, I appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.